Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We can trust the Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What we've seen him do in the past as they remember at chapter 11, that long history of all of those that God was faithful to, he's saying, you know, that same God who is faithful to them is going to be faithful to you as well. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he's never going to change. He's going to be the same forever. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 through 25, in a message titled, Serving God Acceptably. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Then again, the temptation to go after money would come. And the author says, let your life be without covetousness and be content with what you have. And remember this, God has said he'll never leave you or forsake you. The Lord's with you. He's going to take care of you. And then he reminds them that the Lord is our helper. You know, we live in a climate today that is becoming more like the climate that they lived in. It's not, we're not there yet, but at the rate things are going, we could be there sooner than we think. You know, today it's not uncommon for people to be getting pressure from their employer, pressure to just kind of, you know, embrace the new perspective on sexuality and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, the, the pressure to say, you know, don't, we don't want you letting anybody know that you're a follower of Jesus here. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff is happening. And on many occasions, we're seeing that people who are boldly uh, taking a stand for following Jesus are suffering some consequences. Sometimes they're losing their jobs or sometimes they're being overlooked in a promotion that would be rightfully theirs. And when that happens, there's a temptation to think, well, you know, I've got to compromise because if I don't compromise, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, how am I going to survive? Well, here's how you're going to survive. The Lord is your helper. Don't fear what man can do to you. God will help us. God will take care of us. He always has anyway. Sometimes we just forget that. But he wants us to remember that that is the case. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And we can have confidence that if men turn us out, if they exclude us, if they put in you know, policies that are going to you know, prevent us from being able to prosper and move forward, then we're just going to have to trust the Lord. We, we should be trusting him anyway, but we're going to have to, in a more obvious way, trust him when those kinds of things come along. But what a wonderful word there in verse six. We can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's our response to that, those kinds of threats. Well, okay, whatever you do, that's your business. But you know, the Lord is my helper. I'm trusting the Lord in the end. And the Lord is going to take care of us. Verse seven, remember those who rule over you or those who lead you, who's who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. So remember, once again, the idea to pray for, to call to mind those who lead you. 
And so this is uh, just a reminder to think about those who are in spiritual leadership over you, those who speak the word of God to you. Pray for them. Pray for us. I'm, I'm so thankful for the fact that so many of you pray for us. I really am. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I, you know, I travel a lot, as you know, and people will come up and say, you know, I've been praying for you. And I, I just am so blessed. I'm so thankful. My mom, I was talking to her yesterday and she was telling me she has a friend who I've never met before. She's in her 80s and she prays for me every single day. And I'm just astounded. And uh, my mom's telling me, she says, and you know, she's, she really doesn't like you traveling and uh, she's really concerned about you. And I said, well, okay, well, tell her I'm home and I'm not going anywhere. And so, uh, you know, her prayers are answered there. But I just thought that was funny. You know, she's, she prays for me every day and she has a strong opinion that I shouldn't be traveling as much. So, but I'm just so thankful that she prays. And that's what it means to remember those who lead you, who have spoken the word to you. And also, your responsibility is to pray for us. Our responsibility is to live a faithful life so you can follow our example. Hopefully we're doing that. Verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is one of my favorite verses. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can't tell you how many times this one little verse has just leapt off the page and spoken so powerfully to me. Now, again, what's the context? The context is this, God is faithful. That's why he brings up the eternality of Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The immutability of Jesus. Immutability means he never changes. And the encouragement is that we can trust the Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What we've seen him do in the past, as they remember chapter 11, that long history of all of those that God was faithful to, he's saying, you know, that same God who is faithful to them is going to be faithful to you as well. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he's never going to change. He's going to be the same forever. And that's how I've been many, many times greatly encouraged through this word. It's just a reminder that, you know, the Lord is faithful. He hasn't changed. His promises are faithful. His promises are true. And the promises that he gave centuries ago still apply to his people today. And when you read a passage of scripture, and when that thing just resonates with you, and it's a promise of God in your circumstances, listen, believe it, lay hold of it. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning after second service, and I've known her for 35 plus years, and her grandson, uh, I might have alluded to this story a while back, but her grandson had a, a, an accident through a drug overdose, and he was basically in a state where they said, first of all, they said he was going to die. Secondly, they said if he lived, he would be a vegetable, and there was a conversation going on in the hospital about who was going to pull the plug. And God spoke to her and said, fight for him, pray for him. He's not going to die. All, everybody in the, in the, all the doctors, everybody dealing with him said, you know, sorry, this is a done deal. There's nothing that can be done. It's over. He's, he's gone. She told me today, next week, he's getting on an airplane and he's coming out here for Christmas. God did, God did for her and others just exactly what he told her 
that he would do. And when everybody was saying, no, it's impossible, it's never gonna happen, it's over, face it, she said, no, I believe what Jesus told me. And she was right. So the Lord, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful. We can depend on him. Verse nine, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied by it. Is that verse a little weird? Let the heart be established with grace, not with foods. What does that mean? Well, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Jews. And what was a big part of Judaism, it was the what we call today the kosher laws. Remember, they thought, and there, there was a time, obviously, where God did give them dietary restrictions back under the Mosaic system, but they were continuing to think that it was what they ate or didn't eat that would give them favor with God. And the writer says, don't be preoccupied with those things. That is not the issue. The issue is the grace of God. Let the heart be established in God's grace. Now, most of us aren't Jewish. We don't have to struggle with that kosher issue. There are Jews, obviously, today who still abide by that. And sometimes even Jewish people that come to faith in Jesus, they kind of still get you know, torn between the Jewish traditions and culture. And they sometimes feel like, well, you know, I've, I've got to still abide by the kosher diet and all of that. But this doesn't affect you spiritually one way or the other. But you don't even have to be Jewish. There are other groups that do similar things. The Seventh-day Adventist, of course, are uh, a great example. There are people who believe in Jesus, but they also uh, adhere strictly to the Mosaic dietary restrictions. They also emphasize the Sabbath day, Saturday, instead of Sunday. They say, well, you know, you're worshiping the devil if you're worshiping on Sunday. We worship on the Sabbath day. And they criticize everybody who doesn't worship on the Sabbath day. These are all distractions. These are all things that profit. They don't profit at all. Whether it's that or some other list of things that somebody comes up with and says, well, this is how to be really spiritual. This is how to really go here. Take this. This is how to really grow. Take this list here. You know, just make sure you follow this. No, let the heart be established with grace. We got to grow in the grace of God. That's what we got to grow in. And the more we grow in the grace of God, the more we become the people that God wants us to be. And so going on, he says, we have an altar. And here he's talking about the difference. Remember, they're Jews, so they're thinking about going back to the Old Testament. He's contrasting the Old Covenant with the New. We have an altar as believers now, which those who serve the tabernacle, the priesthood that still existed, have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Remember, again, they were, they were wanting to go back into that community. They were wanting to go back to the temple. They were wanting to go back and, and uh, be accepted once again and be freed from the reproach that they were suffering for the name of Christ. And the author says, no, don't do that. But rather, just as Jesus suffered outside the gate, let us go outside the gate to him. Listen, inevitably, we are going to be excluded from this world. 
for many, many years, centuries. You know, Christianity has been relatively accepted. In some cases, it's been tolerated. But as you can see in the climate today, the tolerance for those who believe in Jesus is decreasing, finding more and more intolerance. And there's more and more of this idea of, you know, let's, let's push them out. Let's just get rid of them. You know, we, we, no, we don't want their influence. We don't want them weighing in on anything. You know, we see all of that happening. And our tendency is to resist that and say, well, that's wrong and you shouldn't do that. And, you know, a lot of it is wrong, obviously. But in the end, we're called to bear his reproach. In the end, we're called to just stand with Jesus and say, hey, you know what? If you kick us out, it's okay because Jesus went outside the city to die for us. We're going to go outside the city too. And he reminds them, for here you have no continuing city. They didn't realize, as I mentioned earlier in a a previous message, they didn't realize that that city that they were putting all their stock in, that system that they were wanting to go back to because it seemed so secure to them, it was going to be done really quickly. It was going to be over. And so likewise, we might be driven out of the world, in a sense, in our generation. You know, there, there might be an exclusion of Christians like we've never seen in this land. There might be, I don't know for sure, but there could be. But if there is, it's okay because here we have no continuing city. We seek the one to come. Our eyes are to be focused on heaven anyway and on the kingdom that God is going to establish. So it's really just a reminder that we're all going to suffer reproach for Christ. Paul said this in writing to the Philippians. He said, it is granted to you, granted, listen to that word, it is granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer shame for his name. That's been granted to us. You know what that means? We have the privilege of suffering for Jesus. The apostles certainly thought that was the case. Remember in the early chapters of Acts where they were taken and they were abused, they were beaten, and it says they, then they were released. And as they left, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. That's the attitude that we need to adopt in our day and age because that's always been the case. Paul said to Timothy, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's inevitable. It will happen. There is a reproach that's going to come. But the writer is saying, receive it. Embrace it. Bear it. It's okay. Here we have no continuing city. We seek the one to come. There's, there's a new world coming. There's a new day coming. And that's our world. And so that's where our affections are to be focused. And as for this world, we're not to worry about those things or to be disheartened when they happen. Verse 15, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. I love this 15th verse because you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the fact that when we gather and we sing songs to the Lord, it's not just a meaningless ritual. It's not just something that we're doing to, you know, pass the time till we get to something else. 
It's a time where we are offering sacrifices to God. That's what's happening. As we lift up our praise to him, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. As we praise the Lord, as we just tell him thank you, as we express our gratitude toward him and, and our praise and our worship, as we do that in song, or you know, you don't have to have a musical accompaniment, but just as you, as you do that, as you praise the Lord, that's a sacrifice of praise that goes up. That's why we have to be so careful about being hyper judgmental or critical when it comes to music and the songs that are being sung. And, and I can be guilty of that just like anybody else because I have a certain preference for different, you know, certain style of music. And, you know, sometimes there might be a song and it's like, oh gosh, I don't really like this song. And, you know, I could imagine the Lord saying, well, you know, it wasn't written for you, so don't worry about it. <laughs> it was written for him. It's not being sung to you. It's being sung to him. You know, sometimes you hear people say, man, I love that church. You know, that church is so awesome. Man, the worship there is so great. What does that mean? The worship there is so great. Does that mean you really felt good while you were worshiping? Well, worship isn't really for us to feel good. That's not the purpose of it. You know, worship is great if your heart is directed toward God. You might be the worst singer in the world, but you know, if your heart's in it, that's great worship as far as God's concerned. That's a sacrifice to him. And that's how we offer sacrifices in this new covenant. We offer it by offering up the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but also by doing good and by sharing. He says that those are sacrifices. So when we as Christians, when we do good, whatever it might be, this is a sacrifice to God. God takes note of it. You know, sometimes we do good and nobody recognizes it and you know, we get sort of upset. Well, and how come nobody thanked me for this? Don't worry about it. God, God sees it. He delights in it. It's a sacrifice to him. Doing good and sharing. Sharing, of course, means helping people. And the idea here would be, you know, with possessions or monetarily, that's the idea of sharing. Those are sacrifices that God is well pleased with. And then finally, Verse 17, obey those who rule over you, be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Here, the writer, and all the way through the New Testament, they, they clearly envision a ministry where there's leadership that has spiritual authority, and there are those who are submitted to that authority. Of course, there's always the balance and the warnings that you know people are not, the people who have authority are not to abuse the authority. But there is to be a recognition of authority and a submission. And, you know, when you become a Christian, that's what you sign up for. Before you're a Christian, you're kind of autonomous. You know, you don't follow any rules. You don't recognize any authority, maybe. You don't care what other people say. You're going to just do what you're going to do, and, and you're not going to let anybody else tell you what to do. Well, guess what? When you become a Christian, all of that changes. Nobody forces you to become a Christian, but when you do become a Christian by your own will, you're also putting yourself in a position to be submissive to those that God has given authority to. So those are, those are things that are just important to remember. And now, pray for us 
for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably, but especially I urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. Go down to verse 22, and I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words, know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. The final thing that he points to is prayer, and I'm going to come back to that in just one second. But notice, now maybe you've picked up on this and maybe you haven't. All the way through this book, you've never heard me refer to the name of the author because I don't believe that we know who the author is. Uh, Some people are very confident that Paul is the author of Hebrews. Actually, some Bibles even say the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Uh, But there's no place here where uh, the author identifies himself. And um, I'm of the mind that perhaps it was somebody like Barnabas who was the author. Maybe it was Apollos who was the author. Both of them would qualify for that. Paul would too, but it just doesn't, as I read through it, it just, it doesn't ring Pauline like all all of the rest of Paul's epistles. It doesn't really matter in the end. It's kind of just a debate among scholars, but it doesn't really matter. Of course, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the inspirer of the epistle. But what I do want to point out is notice that the person who did write it, he says, you know, to pray for me, that I may be restored to you the sooner. It could be that the person is writing from a place of imprisonment or maybe just from a place of, you know, not being able to to get to them uh, like he would like to. But clearly we see that Timothy was imprisoned. It's interesting. This is, we would not know that Timothy experienced imprisonment were it not for this statement right here. Now, Paul In his lifetime, he spoke to Timothy about those possibilities, and he wrote as a prisoner. But as far as we can tell from Paul's epistles to Timothy, Timothy had not yet experienced imprisonment himself. But we know here that he eventually did. So, but the final word is prayer. Pray for us. And I want to say this in closing. This is the word for the church, prayer. It's time to pray. And I I want to encourage you, pray for us, and we pray for you, and and we need to pray as God's people. Man, if there was ever a time, you know, when when we needed to pray, the time is now. We need to pray. And I I think of, you know, the powers that are at work. I think of uh, the demonic forces. You think of uh, what's happening with radical Islam, you know, is you've got that on the one hand. On the other hand, you've got what's happening with the radical secular agenda, you know, the atheist and the, these, you know, leftists in the sense that they are, you know, God-hating kinds of people. And, and they, they, there seems to be this, this domination of, of these two ideologies uh, in many places in the world Uh, these ideologies battling one another. And I think, you know, there's another factor that people aren't considering, and that's the Spirit of God. And we're going to see the Spirit of God break into that thing there as we pray. And so I want to encourage you to take this final word to heart. Get started. Let's do it. Let's pray. Let's see God work in ways that maybe we've only dreamed He would do, but let's see Him move because we're going to commit ourselves to prayer. That's the word, the final word that he leaves us with.
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. Jesus has become a stranger to today's culture. Many do not know who he truly is, and many have never even heard of him. Our culture wonders, was Jesus even a real historical person? And why does it even matter if Jesus lived at all? And if he did, what does that mean for you and me personally? These are just some of the questions that Rebecca McLaughlin tackles in her new book, Confronting Jesus. In this book, you'll learn who Jesus is and what that means for you. If you want to know more about Jesus and why knowing who he is is the most important question in life you'll ever have to answer, or if you know someone who needs to know who Jesus is, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.